Welcome to you, wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention this great resource called the Version, absolutely free, downloaded on your phone or device. Uh, there you can not only read the text that we refer to, but if you look under events, you'll find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Uh, also, when you're in your favorite podcast player, likewise, search for Arlington FM Church. There you'll find all of our teaching content. Uh, listen to it in your car, on your bike, when you're out for a run. If you like what you're hearing, uh, share it with your friends and help us get the good word out. Well, uh, speaking of good words, uh, it's sunny and summertime here in Seattle, and it's a great time to introduce our new series. Uh, we're calling it at the movies and uh, throughout the month uh, we're going to look at some different new releases classic movies and really entertain this question uh, can god speak to us through movies you know uh, i want you to think about that for a moment can god use movies to speak his truth to us well uh you might say uh, another word uh, a way to ask that is uh, does god use stories to speak to us and i think we all know the obvious answer there is absolutely in fact uh, some have referred uh, to the entire bible as a book of stories that god uh, has compiled uh, through uh, a wide variety of people in order to communicate the revelation of himself his plan for salvation his plan and his truth for our lives through a compilation of stories you know one of the most poignant uh, we could uh, Take your pick from cover to cover. Uh, there are so many stories that communicate truth about God. One of them is regarding uh, a man named King David, uh, who is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Well, according to the storyline of his life, uh, he had some episodes that weren't quite honoring to God or his commitment to him. In fact, one of the darkest seasons of David's life, uh, we're told uh, that uh, he looked across uh, from his penthouse view and uh, he saw a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. And uh, what he saw, he wanted. He used his kingly power to summon her to his home, uh, had an affair with her. And when David got more than what he was asking for, uh, Bathsheba turned up pregnant. Uh, he came up with a plan uh, to try to explain her pregnancy, even though her husband was away at war. He had him called from the front lines, wined and dined him got him drunk uh, i'm not making this up got him drunk enough to send him home to be with his wife before he had to go back to war well uh bathsheba's husband was a little more noble than david at this point in his life and uh, he refused to go enjoy the blessings of being with his wife while his men were still at war fighting and dying on the front line so uriah slept by the city gate david found out about it he came up with plan b uh, he had Uriah killed, <laughs> essentially sent him back to war, ordered uh, him to be placed on the front lines. Uh, his armies withdrew. Uriah was killed in battle. And David thought, well, his secret had been covered up for. He took Bathsheba as his own wife. Well, uh, a guy named Nathan, here's about what happened. And God gave Nathan a story to tell David to kind of get to the heart of uh, what he had done and how God wanted to bring correction to him. So the Lord uh, sends Nathan to David, and we're told when he came to him, uh, he proceeded to tell him a, quite an involved story. 
He said there were two men in a certain town. One of them was rich. The other was quite poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had managed to purchase. You know, they say when you're crafting a good story, you ought to keep, uh, keep the life circumstance of your listeners in mind. Well, certainly Nathan was doing that. He knew that David was a shepherd king. And uh, so he tells him this story about uh, two, two, two uh, uh, men, one rich, one poor. One had a large number of sheep. The other had but one. But the sheep, the poor man raised it. He grew up with him and his children. He was a member of the family. He shared his food with that sheep, drank from his cup, and this sheep even slept in his arms. In fact, uh, Nathan says it was like a daughter to him. Uh, now, a traveler, the storyline, the movie takes a turn here. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his many sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for this travel, who, traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the single ewe lamb that this poor man owned, and he slaughtered it and prepared it for the traveler who had come to him. Now, you can imagine David's blood boiling within him at this point as he hears the story that Nathan is telling him. In fact, we're told David at that point burned with anger against the man in this story. You ever find yourself watching a movie and you're getting all riled up because you're seeing this sort of injustice and uh, so he blurts out, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such an evil thing and had no pity. Well, uh, that's a pretty appropriate reaction to the story as it had been told. But then this uh, surprise ending, at least to David, uh, to the story. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're the one who did this atrocious thing, uh, speaking of his affair with Bathsheba and what he had done to her husband. And so I would ask the question again, uh, can God speak to us through movies? And uh, we all would know, uh, yes, indeed, God can speak powerfully, maybe in ways that, that change our lives forever, that bring us to uh, acknowledge, accept, confront truths, about our own existence that we might not see in any other way. And that is certainly the goal of this series at the movies. Well, we're going to jump right into it uh, this weekend. In fact, the, the movie that's now showing, the one we're going to kick off this series with, is called Elemental. And it's an animated film. It's set uh, in what's called Element City. And uh, in this city reside uh, four groups of elements. They are fire, water, earth, and air. You might uh, say this is a multi-ethnic city, but in this case, they're not people. They're different elements, uh, fire, water, earth, and air. Well, being the species of the two main characters, uh, fire and water, uh, they get the most emphasis uh, in the movie, and uh, this was intentional. According to the writers of the screenplay, they wanted to show that, uh, you know, elements don't always uh, mix easily when they're thrown into a similar setting. And especially in the case where uh, in Element City, 
The last element to arrive was fire. It had already been established uh, with water, with uh, wind, and uh, so uh, the element of fire is kind of a late arriver, depicting an outsider group. And uh, as usually happens in the formation of cities, uh, groups will uh, stick together. They'll find their own uh, ethnicity uh, to cluster with and they'll carry on life as best they can. Well, uh, the film kind of chronicles that mixing uh, of the masses. And uh, through these two characters, uh, the first uh, is among the fire people, the fire element. Uh, her name is Ember Lumen. Great name for a fire lady, huh? Ember Lumen. And uh, she is a uh, first-generation child of uh, immigrants that had come uh, to Element City, uh, depicting, again, the experience of so many immigrant families. Uh, one writer says, Ember is very fiery, but she has a reason for it. Her family has worked very hard to provide a good life for her in Element City. She wants to prove to her parents that she can become the woman they've always wanted her to be. She's fiercely loyal to her family, and yet she's fiercely loyal to her life and her identity as a fire person. Well, as fate would have it, uh, Amber uh, meets uh, someone, a, a young man uh, of the uh, water element. His name is Wade Ripple, and uh, he is an influential character, and uh, he happens to be an inspector in Element City, and uh, as... Uh, a crisis unfolds uh, in Ember's family business. Uh, there's a flood. Uh, Wade is called to come upon and inspect uh, what needs to take place. They meet, they notice each other, and uh, lo and behold, uh, they begin to spend some time together, uh, finding uh, things to be curious about one another, experiencing uh, the very unique qualities of each other, and uh, through many conversations, they become a thing, well, sort of. Uh, now uh, meet uh, another influential couple uh, in the storyline, and this would be Ember's uh, parents. This is a uh, Bernie Lumen and his wife, uh, Cinder Lumen. And uh, as they realize that their fire element daughter is beginning to build a relationship with this water element uh, young man, they don't see a future. Uh, for their daughter that includes him. In fact, uh, Cinder uh, exclaims at one point in the movie, elements cannot mix. Uh, elements don't mix. I mean, that's just, it doesn't happen. The world doesn't work that way. Well, as the movie unfolds, uh, that's the question that you have to consider. Is uh, do elements mix? Uh, should they? Uh, what's to be gained or lost uh, by not mixing? And as uh, Amber and Wade explore their relationship, lo and behold, they begin to discover that elements do mix. Elements, elements can mix. In fact, it's our differences that often attracts us to one another. Well, uh, as you kind of look into the backstory of this uh, creative animated film, uh, one of the writers, uh, in fact, the primary writer of the storyline, a guy named Peter Sohn uh, himself, a first generation, a child of uh, parents who emigrated from South Korea. And uh, he recalls uh, as a child, uh, he, he saw uh, what, what is known as the uh, uh, periodic table of elements. And uh, when he looked upon 
these 118 elements. Now, if you've ever taken a physics class, you know exactly what's being shown there. Uh, I, in high school, had a five-minute experience with a physics class. I was trying to add a class to fill my schedule. I sat there for five minutes, looked at one of my friends, and said, we don't belong here, and out we went. Uh, but uh, as this uh, writer recalls seeing the uh, periodic table in these 118 elements of creation, he remembered uh, thinking it looked like uh, a, an apartment building, a very large apartment building with all these very diverse elements dwelling together and making up something very beautiful. You know, that's one of the messages of this movie is that we really can't do well in life uh, without learning our interconnectedness and our interdependence with other elements that are quite different than we are. In fact, that uh, if you look at the design of creation, uh, these elements and all their uniqueness are meant uh, to interface and interplay and interdepend on one another. And uh, as the movie depicts far too often, we allow our surface differences uh, to cut us off and distance us uh, from the uniqueness of others uniquely made in the image of God. You know, uh, as you look at the example of Jesus, uh, he refused to judge people based on their exterior differences. In fact, he, he often spoke against a religiosity, a spirituality that tended to lift up one element over others. He spun a classic tale of two men who went up to be with God and to experience God's presence. And one of them was prone to see people based on their exterior differences, their different lifestyles, their values, their priorities, their spirituality. And as he stood before God, he said, I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other sinners that are so much a part of my world. In fact, he looked at one poor sap not far away. He said, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. And uh, I do all these things to make myself right with God. Uh, whereas in the story, the movie that Jesus is spinning, uh, he says there was another guy who uh, felt so ashamed of his, his uh, unworthiness, his brokenness, his sense of need, that he refused to even approach God. Instead, Jesus said he beat his chest, and he had one request, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And as this story comes to an end, Jesus said, which of those two men do you think went home right with God? It was the one who considered himself unworthy. You know, Jesus refused to see people as functions or interruptions or as symbols uh, categorizing uh, who they are and what they might stand for. But you know, uh, this message is not really about uh, finding ways to connect with others in an elemental way. The heart of this message is finding ways to connect with God in a very unique uh, way. Uh, God is, as you might have guessed, uh, quite different than we are. And uh, as we mentioned, the entire Bible is a story that's meant to reveal the heart of God the nature of God, so that we can connect with God. And uh, this message is uh, how do we find that kind of elemental connection with God that allows us to live with him, experience him. In fact, the title of this uh, today's message 
is the elemental gift of God's Spirit. Uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is communicated to us in very elemental ways, much like the movie that we've been talking about. In fact, there are three elements used to describe uh, this precious gift of God's Spirit. Uh, those three elements are wind and fire and water, uh, each of them uh, revealing to us a part of what God would like to do in our lives through the precious gift of his spirit. And, and let me start by saying this. Uh, when when uh, Peter proclaimed the first gospel message, he offered the gift of the spirit as part of salvation. He said, if you'll call on the name of Jesus, a turn from your sins, you will experience two things, forgiveness, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that you see so power, powerfully on display uh, in us. And uh, so let's talk about this first element uh, by which God is revealed, the Spirit of God is revealed to us, the wind. And we're told in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, which is the day of harvest, the day of ingathering, the disciples were together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Uh, this is in movie fashion, a glimpse of what, uh, what kind of relationship is available to us through the gift of God's Spirit. You know, uh, here are some pictures depicting the violent, awesome power of wind. You know, we don't have to uh, look far uh, to see the damage that's caused by hurricanes in our world or uh, this incredibly scary picture of a turbulent uh, thunder uh, in motion, thunderstorm in motion uh, as a powerful tornado. Uh, but when this violent wind came upon the disciples, it's not a destructive power, it's constructive. In fact, it's, it's more like this. It's the kind of wind that creates energy, and uh, it's the kind of wind that propels us uh, to new places. There's movement in this power of God's Spirit that is revealed to us through the metaphor, through the element of wind. You know, another translation of the word spirit in the Bible is breath. And so uh, this aspect uh, of the gift of God's Spirit, one of the elements is breath, which uh, has a, a storyline that starts in the very first pages of the Bible and goes to the very end of the book. Uh, how important uh, is it when we're told in the book of Genesis that God breathed the breath of life into the first humans and they became living creatures. Uh, God wants us to know that the breath of his spirit is essential for experiencing life. In fact, that when Jesus had risen from the dead, he appeared to his disciples behind closed doors. We're told in John's gospel that he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, God wants us to know uh, that we can receive uh, this breath of life from him as part of our salvation that animates us, makes us come alive. In fact, uh, one of God's seers, a guy named Ezekiel, if he were born in modern times, I'm convinced uh, he would be a filmmaker. Uh, his prophecies are filled with visions and uh, animations, uh, but we're told uh, of one 
a particular passage about the breath of God. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, chapter 37, uh, he has this vision. We call it the Valley of Dry Bones. And uh, as you read through this wonderful prophecy, you're mindful uh, that God takes the things that are dead and dry and lifeless, and he breathes the breath of life into them. Uh, God uh, invited Ezekiel to speak to the dry bones that he saw in this valley. And he says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life and I will attach tendons to these bones and uh, you will become animated. I will cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. And uh, God ends this revelation of the work of his spirit by saying that very thing, I will put my spirit within my people. And so uh, the element of wind is a disclosure to us of God's gift of his spirit. The second one is fire. And uh, this is how we uh, begin to explore this aspect of God's spirit. We're told that on that same day when the, the sound of a violent wind filled the house where they were gathered, they then saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And uh, again, the storyline of the Bible includes fire as a disclosure of the presence and the leading of God. When Moses saw God in a burning bush, uh, his life changed forever. When God led the children of Israel through the desert, he led them by a pillar of fire. When Elijah offered a sacrifice, asking God to show and demonstrate his strength, uh, fire descended from heaven and consumed the offering. In fact, the writers of the New Testament would say, our God is a consuming fire. And uh, this would mean that uh, the Spirit of God is able to purify our hearts, uh, remove from us those things that we need to jettison in order that we can get on with experiencing him. And then finally, the third element is that of water. So we have the wind the fire, and now the water has a disclosure of God's spirit. You know, Jesus often spoke of the living water of God's spirit. He said it would, uh, when you receive and drink of this living water, out of our innermost being would flow rivers of uh, spiritual life. In fact, in John chapter 7, we're told on the last and greatest day of the festival, this would have been the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Israeli people celebrated God's presence with them. Uh, Jesus stood up. He said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit of God, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You know, uh, one of the beautiful pictures, again, Ezekiel, had of the life-giving properties of God's spirit uh, was of water trickling from the temple of God. And uh, as he saw this vision unfold to him and he shared with us, this trickle of water, uh, as he's being shown, uh, gets deeper and wider. It begins to flood uh, the entire arid region that Ezekiel was lived in. And uh, he made this observation that wherever the river flowed, everything became abundant with life. Even the Dead Sea turned to fresh water. 
Well, these are incredible properties. And uh, I would ask you just to think for a moment. Uh, let a movie speak to you. Uh, what are these elements that uh, depict the gift of God's Spirit, which is part of your salvation if you've called on the name of Jesus? This wind, this uh, violent rushing wind that comes to create energy, movement in our lives, this fire that comes to separate us from the things that hold us down and pull us back, uh, this river of living water that is meant to bring abundance to every dry and barren part of our lives. Uh, what could this mean if uh, you were a little more open, a little more receptive, a little more eager uh, to receive and to experience this gift of God's Spirit? What could it mean for your own healing, your own encouragement, the health of your relationships, your future as you move under God's uh, propulsion, uh, your faith response to him. What could it mean for your family, your neighborhood, the church that you're a part of? Uh, would you join me in a prayer? Uh, God, thank you that you do indeed speak to us in many and various ways. Your word says uh, thank you that you can use uh, stories in movies, metaphors, imagery uh, to do things in our hearts, real things in our lives, and we would just thank you today for giving us this amazing gift of life, and not only forgiving us of our sins, restoring us to our relationship with you, but pouring your very spirit out, the elements of your spirit, uh, into our very real and tangible lives. We thank you uh, for these word pictures of the wind and the fire and the water of your spirit, and I pray by your spirit, God, that uh, you would uh, create in us a space to receive, to open up to, and to live in the fullness that you desire to pour into our lives. Pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hey, well, uh, you know, one of the scriptures that really anchors this home, I'd like you to see it, as uh, God was uh, dealing with his broken and rebellious people, he was beginning to call them back to himself, he made this promise to another one of his spokespeople, showed him a vision, gave him a story, and the message was this. Uh, it's not, uh, this is the word of the Lord to, to Zerubbabel. And by the way, if you've got a name like that, you probably need to hear a word from the Lord. But here it was. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, that all these great and wonderful things will be accomplished in your life. And, uh, I know that to be true. I hope you'll experience that. Uh, let God uh, begin to find new ways uh, to reveal the power, the abundance, the strength, the encouragement, and the hope that comes by interacting with his spirit.